Good morning. That was my slightly loud one, just to check that the microphone is actually on. I remember to press the button, that everything is working correctly. Um, we're working through a series at the moment, which Richard kicked off. I think we've had some great preaching lately. I thought John was spectacular a couple of weeks ago when he uh, shared with us about hope. I have loved the catchphrase. I remember when I bought the DVD of um, Shawshank Redemption and caught the the strap line on there, uh, fear can take you prisoner, but hope will set you free. I mean, that is just, it's not biblical, but it's just, it's just really, really good. And it's such a robust, excellent preach. Can I say, if you didn't hear it and you weren't here, it's worth a listen. It's really, really good. And actually, even if you did hear it and you were here, it's worth a second listen. And then Richard did a great job last week in kicking off our series uh, on your kingdom come by talking about your kingdom come in us. And I'm going to kind of just overlap with that a little bit, but then lead into my main subject matter this morning, which is your kingdom come in our connections, which is what I've been asked to speak on. This isn't going to be an exhaustive kind of everything you need to know about your kingdom come in our connections because I just don't have the time. Basically, people have written books. Um, this is a very good one, by the way, which I'll recommend to you by my friend Chris Kilby, who uh, leads Life Church in Southampton. It's called Equipped. It's an excellent book. I recommend it to you. But people have written books on this stuff. You can do training courses that last for several weeks, all evening. Uh, not every evening, several weeks, but, you know, like one evening a week for about two to three hours for several weeks. So, you know, what chance have I got this morning? But I'm going to give you some pointers, particularly some stuff that I feel that God wanted to impress upon us this morning. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read some scripture. And I'm going to read from the Acts of the Apostles. That is A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. Um, I know the, uh, the Bible talks about the sword of the Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles is actually A-C-T-S. Um, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before, beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Holy Spirit, we do ask this morning that you stir our hearts, that you illuminate our hearts from the word of God, and that you encourage us and equip us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The series that we're preaching on over the next few weeks and then praying into, and generally working into, is entitled Your Kingdom Come. And that is taken from the Lord's Prayer, where uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. John's disciples taught him how to pray. Could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the, the pagans who think they'll be heard for their babbling and their many, many words. But when you pray, close the door, get before your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. I do think a few church leaders have forgotten that verse now that social media has come. And, you know, kind of you, you kind of think, oh, your prayer life is now plastered all over Twitter and Facebook, but never mind. Um, it's a very, very interesting thing that God calls us to do. But God calls us to get alongside him and to seek his face. And the slight irony, I think, is if you were anything like me and you went to a school assembly or you went to a church event, which kind of wasn't a particularly live church, you get to pray the Lord's Prayer. And for some of us, we could do it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. You can go through, and we've transformed it into vain babbling that Jesus said not to do. And the thing with the Lord's Prayer, and this is kind of just doubling over some of the stuff that Richard said for the benefit of those of you who aren't here, today, who weren't there last week, and just as a little bit of a general introduction, it's an agenda. And when God says, Jesus says, look, this is how you pray, Father. That's the basis on which we come. We come in for the ba on the basis of God's our Father and we're his children through the work of Jesus Christ. And we say Father in heaven because Father, it's a close relationship. It's what the, the theologians would call the imminence of God. God is close. Da and it's not far. Father is a bit of a formal word. It's much more informal than that. It's like dada. It's like when Josh sees me, he goes, gaga. And, and it's like, okay, that's, that's granddad. But no, just, no, come on, my correct title is. I don't. I kind of think, oh, you said it. Yeah. Uh, and it's like when my kids, he said, dada. You know, it, 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 and that is the kind of imminence and intimacy that we come before God with. But then it says it's not just dada. It's dada in heaven. And that's what the theologians call the transcendence of God, which is what gives us our power and authority in prayer, because we don't come to a God. It's like if you said to me, Bill, we need one and a half mil to finish the granary or whatever. Could you lend it to us? And I'd like, I'd like to, but sorry, just not within my wherewithal. If it is within your wherewithal, come and have a word with Richard. But, but the thing is, you know, sometimes we like to do stuff, but it just isn't within our capability. It's like some of the DIY jobs around my house. You know, I'd like to finish that, but just really, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure that kind of, I started it, but it really quite, isn't quite within the bounds of my capability. But we know that when we come to God, he is able. But the thing is, with the Lord's Prayer, 
it's not just something to be recited through, it's an agenda. But the thing is, God puts the items which are important and in priority at the outset. Because if God isn't your father, you have no access to him in prayer. And that's why we can come and we can say, Father. Because we're not coming to a God who's far off, we're coming to a God who's near. This is Father in heaven. But then before we come with any other request, now don't get me wrong, if you're in dire emergency, a quick arrow prayer of help is a good prayer, very succinct, very useful. But when you're getting before God and you're having a time of fellowship and you wanted to pray through, God says, actually, before you do anything else, before, and I know that you're skint, and I know that you would have liked to have put more in the offering this morning, but you're just absolutely boracic, and so you couldn't. But before even you pray for your daily bread, pray for my kingdom, because that's important to me. And I want you to align your life with me to pray for my kingdom to come and my will be done. And the Bible tells us this. It says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you as well. But the priority is God's kingdom. And kingdom is to do with two things primarily. It's to do with king and dominion. Who reigns and where he reigns. And Isaac Watts put it very, very succinctly in the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore till shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Now, if you find Isaac Watts's language, and he was a Puritan, old boy of my school, several hundred years ago, if you think, you know, we used to sing Isaac Watts very, very regularly. He was about the most famous old boy that we had, so we sang a lot of his hymns. And um, the thing is, though, what he's saying there is that Jesus reigns, he reigns everywhere, and he will reign continuously, because with this passage, a lot of people put the kingdom up there somewhere. You know, like, come the rapture, come Jesus coming back, kingdom comes. And it's all in the future. Whereas Isaac Watts was very, very clear from his reading of scripture that Jesus reigns. And he continues to reign wherever the sun shines. And from shore to shore. Because the king is the king. There is no succession because there will never be another. And his dominion is not a geographical dominion. Because it's not about a state in the Middle East, nor is it about a particular country on the face of the earth, whether it's this one or another one. It's about, because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It comes from another place. His kingdom advances as people bow the knee to him and are born again into his kingdom. I was born British. I am British by birth. Sorry. But I was. For those of you who are born Welsh, you have a distinct advantage on us in kind of in the queue to get into heaven. But, you know, just... But um, I was born British. I did not have to apply for citizenship. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of God because I was born into it. Because I was born again. And the kingdom of God extends 
when more people become its citizens. And we have a direct commission, we have a direct command from Jesus to work with him and the Holy Spirit in seeing his kingdom extend because Jesus is already on the throne. The kingdom was inaugurated when, through Jesus' birth, through his life, through his death and his resurrection. And he will continue to reign. We don't yet see all things under his feet, but he will continue to reign until he comes back and wraps it all up and he offers it all to the Father. And we'll be there singing his praises forevermore. We win. You see, it might look a bit difficult now. And I mean, this is an old one, but if you haven't heard it before, it's a good one. We've read the end of the book. We win. Jesus wins. So I'm going to give you just a couple of things that I feel that God put on my heart for this topic. And the first one is about the fact that Jesus said to his disciples, wait. Interesting that, because if you think about the disciples, they've been with Jesus day in, day out for three years. That's the length of the average degree course. So if you go to Bible college to get a degree in ministry or whatever, you spend three years studying. And not knocking that, however, Jesus did spend 30 years prepending for three years ministry. Most denominations spend three years training for 30 years of ministry. I kind of think we, anyway, never mind, that's just a little bit of controversial. But Jesus had his disciples with him day in, day out, three years. During that time, they experienced him call them. Look, leave your nets, follow me. Leave collecting taxes, follow me. Leave being a political activist, follow me. Follow me. They experienced him going to a wine, going to a wedding, and the wine ran out. That's a difficult one. But then he changed water into wine. Pretty spectacular. They were with him in the boat when there was a raging storm and he was asleep. And they woke him up and said, Lord, we're going to drown. And he, and he looked up, stood up and said, be silent, be muzzled. And the storm stopped. How fantastic is that? Yeah, if you were in a Bible school and that was part of the curriculum, boat ride with Jesus into a really raging storm up and down, yeah, you might be leaning over the bow being ill. And then Jesus stands up and says, be still, storm stops. That's inspirational. People would bring their sick to him. And it says he healed them all. Good is that. And then he raised the dead multiple times. How good is that? And he said to his disciples, Do you know what? Anyone who believes in my name will do the same things I've been doing and even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's a pretty hardcore promise. Thing is, 
A lot of people argue, and I've said this before, and some of the things I'm going to say today I have said before, and I make no apology for repeating them. But so many people start to argue about, well, what do the greater things mean? Because you can have a big discussion about, does it mean this, does it mean that? Actually, what if we just did the same things that Jesus did? But just imagine. These guys, they've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen all that. I would suggest to you, if we're church leaders training people, we would now say to them, look at what you've seen. Go on, boys and girls. Out you go. You're equipped. You've seen some pretty fantastic stuff. Out you go. Go on. What are you waiting for? You've seen all that. Tell people about it. Go, 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 go. Jesus didn't say that. He said, wait. Why do you think he said that? Because he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, I've got power steering on my car. Makes it a heck of a lot easier to park and maneuver. Only works when the engine's turned on, though. If you try and do it without, very hard work. Now, I'm not saying that people who haven't been baptized in the Spirit can't win people for Jesus and can't reach their connections. They can. So much easier when you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people ask me, what kind of a church is it that you belong to? And I kind of vary the answer depending on who I'm talking to. It's not the kind of, there's any form of compromise in that. I want to find out who I'm talking to in order that I say something meaningful. But we will often call ourselves a charismatic church. Now the thing is, that's not because we like to have a slightly more upbeat time of worship. It's not that we want to have some contributions, though that forms part of it. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit is of huge importance to us. Why is it of huge importance to us? It's of huge importance to God. Because in order to help us get the job done, he sent the Holy Spirit. Same spirit that empowered Jesus to do all that stuff. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He sent him to us. So Jesus said, wait. Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I want to ask you this morning, very, very gently, but very, very provocatively, how are you doing on power to be a witness? Because Jesus didn't say, you'll receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Know, don't get me wrong. Tongues is good. Great. It's like Paul said, thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm not saying that. Paul said it. Paul acknowledged great gift because the Bible says the person that speaks in a tongue builds themselves up. Doesn't say you will receive prophecy when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Prophecy is a great gift. It builds up, it stirs up, and it cheers up, it exhorts, it edifies, it encourages. It's a great gift for the church. doesn't say you will receive the gift of healing when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You could do. It's a great gift. But Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've got it. And in not many days from now, you'll get it. 
So when he had them together in the upper room, says he blew on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now some people say, of course, that's when they were born again. What Jesus was doing there, I believe very, very strongly, was a prophetic foreshadowing. He said, listen, boys, watch out for that. On the day of Pentecost, they're there together. Suddenly, like a mighty rushing wind, this time Jesus is blowing on them from heaven. It's the Holy Spirit they're receiving in power with tongues of fire. Guys, this is our biblical heritage. It's not just because we want to stand for a doctrine. We want to stand for Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to be his witnesses. It then opens up a whole range of gifts and ministries in the spiritual realm. Several years ago, my friend Simon was sort of ambling around, sort of investigating whether or not Christianity was real due to various circumstances in his life, found himself in a church meeting in Southampton, wondering if it's all real, and somebody says, there is somebody here with pain in their left jaw, round about there, God wants to heal you. And Simon was suffering from pain in his left jaw, round about there, mainly due to the fact that he was grinding his teeth at night, And Simon got healed. Not a Christian yet. Still kind of searching. Gets invited to a meeting. Bam! Sonny thinks, there could be something in this Christianity lark after all. More of that later. But I would encourage you, if you're not pushing out, because sometimes our tendency is to kind of sit within our comfort zone and Pat prophesied to us a few weeks ago about the fact that God wants us to move out of our comfort zones. God wants us to press on and experience some new stuff and do some new things or even take some old things that you don't do anymore and just breathe new life into them and see God do some stuff. Because otherwise it's very, very easy to do the same old things over and over again because actually once you get through the initial kind of oh church is a bit weird actually it's all right I found Jesus we come along we sing some great songs we have a good time of worship somebody brings an encouraging word sometimes the preacher's all right sometimes they're not but kind of hey that's all right that's the way it goes sometimes but you know uh, and we go along to a small group perhaps you think this is great because they give us cake and, you know, that, and we, we, we make some good friends and we get a good social life. And we've got a great support network. And it, it's really, really good and we can enjoy that. But we're called to a mission and we're called to touch the ends of the earth because that's Jesus' mission to touch the ends of the earth. And he wants us to be involved in it. And sometimes we have to stir ourselves up that we've got comfortable and we need to press on out. And we need to stir ourselves up and we need to press on. Second thing Jesus said, he said, wait. But actually, the wait doesn't have to be too long now because Jesus said, wait, because he hadn't poured out the Holy Spirit yet. It wasn't the day of Pentecost. Now, at the end of this talk, I'm going to invite you, if you feel you need power, to be a witness to come forward. Seems only fair. If you want to wait and weigh it up a little bit, that's fine. Perfectly biblical. 
But actually, you don't have to wait anymore if you don't want to, because Jesus has already poured out. We're living post-Pentecost. You can experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will help you be a witness. And that isn't because it kind of looks cool if we preach and kind of, you know, people come forward and all that kind of stuff. No, we want power to do the job that Jesus called us to do. Because without the power, ain't going to happen. And we're fighting with one hand tied behind our back. Because, I don't know about you, there are some very intellectually gifted people that I've heard explain the gospel and do apologetics. I'm bright, but I'm not that bright. I have to rely sometimes on the fact that Jesus can heal someone and get their attention where you can then explain to them what's just happened. I find that a little bit more easier than quoting from stuff in the original Greek. But anyway, that's, and that's not to knock it, it has its place. Just some of you will identify with me, yeah, we're not that clever either. God wants to help you. Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, he'll do the same things that I've been doing even greater things than these. So I'm going to the Father. When he went to the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit. Second thing he said is, you will be my witnesses. Now, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. What that means is I don't want you to answer me back. The reason for that is some of you will get it wrong. And I want to do that because I want to challenge your thinking, but I don't want to embarrass you. And I want to ask you a little bit of a question. What do you call someone who is engaged in the work of winning somebody for Jesus and making disciples of them and sharing the gospel with them? I'm going to give you just a moment to mull that over. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up and I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you said. And the reason that I've done that is, and I've said it's a rhetorical question, is I don't want to embarrass any of you. But I'm going to put good money on the fact that a number of you said, an evangelist. Now, if you said that, biblically, I believe you're wrong. Because, and I'll tell you why, and I'm not going to go into an in-depth study about it. But in Ephesians, it says that the ascended Christ gave gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Evang the role of the evangelist, yes, they do tend to be gifted in sharing the gospel. Yes, they do tend to be gifted communicators. And yes, they do often find it very, very easy to share their faith. But the role of the evangelist is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What do you call a person who shares the gospel and attempts to win people for Jesus and looks to make disciples? A believer, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a Christian. Any of those are acceptable answers because that's what God has called us to. Or a witness. Now, we often kind of conjure that thing up. by kind of, Often we put ourselves into, under pressure like, have I witnessed to someone today. And we will often, I often use Christians, use that phrase. And honestly, I wish they wouldn't. And I'll explain why. Now, John, can I just borrow you for a moment? 
So John is a Nottingham Forest supporter. He admitted that in his preach a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not really sharing a dark, embarrassing secret because it was already out in the public. I'm a Southampton supporter, which I would ordinarily be embarrassed about, but we beat Tottenham 2-1 yesterday. There you go. Miracles still happen. So there's a little bit of animosity because he supports Nottingham Forest. I support Southampton, so there you go. The age of football hooliganism is not dead. Did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah? Okay. John, would you like to sit down? Jim. Now, I haven't warned him about this, so this is totally spontaneous. Did you see that? Yeah. Now, he saw that, like the rest of you. He's a witness. He saw it. Has he said anything yet? No. Have you said anything yet? No. You're a witness. Thank you. <laughs> Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Now, we put so much store on saying stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have. Be prepared. Be a spiritual boy scout or girl scout. Be prepared. But the fact is, you don't have to witness. You are a witness because if you're in the kingdom you've seen something of the goodness of God and the power of God you are in fact a witness to the resurrection however what do witnesses do they give evidence so witness for the prosecution prosecution calls Mr. James Harper Mr. James Harper will you take the stand yeah just no just stand around say it nice and loud what did you see I saw you push him. Absolutely right. Thank you. Now, it's a bit simple, but you see what you, you say what you saw. Now, people have a little bit of a go at the blind man in John's gospel for being a bit simple in his testimony of Jesus. Because the Pharisees said to you, came to him and said, What happened to you? Who was this? What happened? He went, I don't know. I only know I was blind and now I can see. Now, that's a pretty good testimony. In order to get that, you have to be blind first. And some of us kind of want a big testimony. And kind of we get a little bit stressed about the fact that we go through the mill before we get the testimony. But that's God's way of working with us sometimes. We come out the other side, we have the testimony. But we experience the goodness of God. You might have been healed. You might have experienced something. You might have had a prayer answered. You've got a story. You're a witness. You've got a testimony. And sometimes Jesus will call on you to give evidence. But the fact is, the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working in our connections. He's working in the people you come across. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's uh, with the guys on Mars Hill, says this. Um, the time he determines, the time set for them, and the exact places where they should live, so that they might reach out to him and seek him and perhaps find him. So the fact is the Holy Spirit is at work in people, but he's also at work in us because the Bible says that we are the fragrance of Christ among people. So you go out into the world and you smell. Now smelling isn't a bad thing. Smelling good is a good thing. Smelling bad, not so good. But the thing is, Amongst those who are perishing, we're the fragrance of death. That's not a good smell. And yet often we pressure ourselves. We've got to get good results. Things have got to happen. 
Not everybody is going to respond well to Jesus. They didn't when he was alive, so they're not going to respond well to you. Take the pressure off. But it says to those that God is working at, to those who are being saved, we are the fragrance of life. And so sometimes people think there's something about you and you can engage them a bit more in a conversation. The Holy Spirit is working. So please don't think in terms of you have to witness. Think of it more in terms of you are a witness. And actually you could be a good witness or a bad witness, whether you say anything or not. Because if you don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, if you kind of decide, well, actually, Jesus, I'm going to go on a spiritual career break and totally kind of be non-Christian, if you like, in my life, that's not a good testimony. And it speaks to people. But if you walk worthy of calling and you move along with the power of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, it can impact people's lives. So all of that kind of leads me to the the fact of Jesus said you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now for the early church it was very much breaking ground with the gospel, breaking ground with the kingdom of God. Seeing the kingdom of God come in Jerusalem which is where they started, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So often in the past people have found their localities and their Jerusalems more difficult. Well, they think, okay, perhaps I'll go off somewhere and see more success somewhere else. Now, there's nothing wrong with going and doing stuff overseas or wherever it is, but actually, sometimes God has called us to be faithful where we are, which means that kind of you look to see the kingdom of God come in your family. Don't neglect your family. If you're a parent, look to share the life of God with your children. And that isn't just we take them to church on a Sunday. It's you involve them in your thinking, in your decision-making, in your praying, in the stuff that is burning in your heart so they see that Jesus is real and it's a real faith and they catch it themselves. But we also have people that we rub shoulders with. Now, sometimes that's geographic, but sometimes it's, it's more networks of people because... Can I just ask, this is where I will ask you to respond, show of hands if you don't actually live in Worcester itself. You live in a neighboring town, neighboring village. That's actually a few of you. Nothing wrong with that. Hands up if you do live in Worcester. Okay. Now, hands up if you spend a fair amount of time working in another town or area from where you live. That's, again, quite a few of you. How many of you do a social or sporting or other activity in an area away from where you live? Yeah. So, you know, at the moment, I live in Northwick. Not planning to move, but that's where I live. Currently, working in Droitwich. And I play golf in Tewkesbury. Now... That's a bit of a combination. And it may well be that some of the people that I meet with in Tewkesbury, they live in Cheltenham. Very rarely go to Cheltenham. Or they might live in Gloucester. It's interesting that one of the guys that I do play golf with has moved in next door to a friend of mine from the church we were in in Gloucester for a few years. Very interesting. You start to have little discussions. 
But sometimes geography is good because some of you actually live in Worcester, you work in Worcester, you're part of a church in Worcester, and you kind of socialize and do stuff around your local neighborhood. That's fine, nothing wrong with that. I was born in Southampton in a suburb called Shirley. My father worked in Shirley. He came home for his lunch. I went to school in Shirley. Didn't go into the center of Southampton that often because actually there's, you can get most stuff in Shirley. But culture's changed. These days, we tend to live somewhere. Yeah, we might live somewhere, work somewhere, do social. Now, are we just going to focus our energy on where our contacts sleep? But no. God's called us both to neighborhoods, but also to networks. Which brings me on to kind of follow up the um, story that I started. A few years ago, I was lurking in the uh, corridor of family reunion, chatting to one of my brothers-in-law. I have many. And Dave and I used to kind of be the naughty boys that sat at the back. And we kind of just kind of, you know, it's just the way we are, really. You know, we compare notes on who we felt was the least favorite son-in-law. And uh, it's just the way it was. And, you know, and we were chatting, and, and Dave said, do you know any churches in Tewkesbury? And I went, no, don't know any churches in Tewkesbury whatsoever. It's before I started playing golf in Tewkesbury. And he said, I said, why'd you say that, Dave? And he said, my brother, my brother needs some help. And he said, I wondered if you could kind of put him in touch with some Christians in Tewkesbury. I said, well, Tewkesbury's not far. Do you think he'd be up to a phone call? And I went, yeah, he said, I'm sure he would. So he gave um, me Simon's phone number. And I rang up Simon and said, hey, Dave's given me your number. And kind of, you can, can we come round and say hi? So we went round and took the kids round. The kids didn't quite play with this tortoise, but were quite interested in the fact that kind of he had a tortoise. And, uh, yeah, we just did family stuff and whatever. And something deep down inside thought, we need to kind of just continue this. So this was in December. So I said to him, Simon, what are you doing on New Year's Eve? And he said, nothing. I said, would you like to come to our New Year's Eve party? And he went, I'd love to. So I then had to go back home and organize one. <laughs> Sometimes you have to think outside the box. So fortunately, I had a few Christian friends I could ring around and said, can you do me a favor? Don't know what your plans are on New Year's Eve. I've got this guy. He needs some help. Needs Jesus. Needs to meet some Christians. Can you come and be part of our New Year's Eve party? So we had a New Year's Eve party. Simon turns up. We continue a few meetings. I think it was, what was it, Friday the 13th? Friday the 13th, we prayed a prayer in his lounge for him to receive Jesus. Now, that I claim no credit for that. That is not down to me. That is a chain of events but the kingdom of God is bigger than any one town, any one church, and there is a chain of events. This is not about building our church, because Jesus said, I will build my church, but it is being faithful to the power of God, to the working of God in people's lives, in our collections, and leaving the results to God. But what I would encourage you to do, it's like you'll gather I play golf. I'm not naturally very good at it but I take lessons and I practice. Now, the same Bolt didn't become the world 100 meters champion by chance. He trained, now admittedly he's Jamaican, he's a bit laid back, so he trained at 10 in the morning. He didn't get up at like five. But still, he trained because he enjoyed it and he needed to. 
guys, if you think, well, do you know what? Sharing my faith, it's not my strong point. Can I encourage you? Train. Go on a course. Read a book. I'm going to a thing in King's Arms in June where they've got Mark Marks who uh, started off healing on the streets. If you think that might float your boat, come and talk to me and we can perhaps think about going together. Uh, But train yourself. Because it's not a question of thinking, yeah, but that's not my thing really. Actually, it is your thing. Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. One of the last things he said before he ascended was, go, make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Because sometimes we do have a tendency to settle. But Jesus is saying, leave your comfort zones, press out, and share your faith, and touch your connections for Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come back, and we're going to close in one final song. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, and you think you would like to, I'd like to invite you to come to the front. Jim and some others would love to pray for you. Jim loves praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But also, if you think, do you know what? I'm lacking in some power to be a witness. I need some power. I'm going to ask you as well. If you need a shot in the arm from the Holy Spirit, some power to break out of your comfort zone and be a witness for Jesus, again, while the band play, I'd ask you to come forward and let's worship Jesus in our final song. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands.